The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, an SJP World Media production and a WCW Look Back podcast. On today's episode, we are looking at the April 15th, 1996 episode of Monday Nitro. And when I say we, I mean, of course, it is not just I. The person you really want to hear from is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, my friend? I'm doing really well, sir. How's yourself? You don't sound too uh, good there. No, full of cold, mate. Full of cold. I'm about to take a day off work. I feel rough as hell. But we're going to power through, mate. We're going to power through and get this done. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, today's episode of Monday Nitro comes from Charleston, West Virginia. And in the ratings for that particular Monday night, uh, we have, well, well, we have Eric Bischoff stating throughout the show, this is the most watched wrestling program in the United States. However, Raw won tonight's uh, ratings battle, I guess, 3.1 to Nitro's 2.8. So, Mr. Bischoff, again, telling a few porky pies, Danny. Oh, yes, he certainly is. And uh, straight away, as we open, we get him just taking shots at Raw, left, right and centre, don't we? Yeah, he's talking about, forget that canned stuff. We are live, obviously digging at the fact that uh, quite often, well, I think all the time at this stage, potentially, Monday Night Raw is still pre-recorded, I think, Danny? Yeah, yeah, it was at this point. And I just think because of the ratings um, win on Raw, that maybe Eric Bischoff was just salty here. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, obviously, Nitro didn't air last week. Uh, I said I was going to look into why that was. I'm not going to lie, I forgot. So <laughs> you weren't the only one, mate. <laughs> but I'm sure we will look into it as well. And we've yeah. also not forgotten about the bonus episode for missing a week uh, earlier on this month. We have selected a show that we are going to be checking out and reviewing from pre Nitro WCW, which tends to be the way we go with bonus shows, I guess. Won't spill the beans just yet, but it will drop completely out of the blue sometime probably in the next week or so, Danny, I think, won't it? Oh, definitely. And I'm so looking forward to getting into that with you, sir. Si. It's going to be good fun. It's going to be good fun. I hope everyone enjoys it and uh, appreciates the effort that we put in. Okay. Uh, we start with basically Hulk Hogan's entrance music playing, 
we can see from the distance uh, the the cam right at the back of the arena there's a few people in the ring already but i mean my old tired eyes can't quite figure out exactly who it is from that distance but hogan's music hits and he gets shall we say a mixed reaction danny yeah it certainly was wasn't it it was like um it wasn't that roaring ovation that we're used to seeing Hulk Hogan in uh, his pre previous years. But yeah, it was kind of mixed. Mm. It was. And effectively what we've got to open the show is Hulk Hogan in a handicap match versus R. Anderson and Kevin Sullivan. Because apparently that, that's all still, thing, still a thing. So that's great. Uh, but there's no Ed Leslie because apparently he's now injured and can't be at the event or something along those lines, Danny. Yeah, I, I was going to um, celebrate about this on this show, but it's never good when a wrestler's injured. I just hope that the injury is legitimate and it's not Beefcake having one of his powder days. <laughs> yeah, he's got, a, he's got a sore nose, potentially, shall we say. Um, <laughs> a bit like me, but mine's for different reasons. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, the match starts with Hogan doing his usual shtick, you know, posing, throwing a few punches. The heels take control very, very briefly before Hogan again takes control of both his opponents. And then the first thing that really stands out to me is we get a, a couple of really, really shit figure fours. Yeah, they just did not look good, did they? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's not a move Hogan has in his forte to use a great deal. But in recent weeks, he has applied a figure four quite regularly on Flair and Arn and here again. I mean, if you're going to do it on TV, at least make sure you could put it on without looking like a complete tool, I reckon. Yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? But not to Hulk Hogan unless he's getting paid for it. I guess he's not getting in that ring. Well, yeah. I mean, the figure four on Arn, the second figure four that Hogan applies, is, is, is the worst of the two. He almost falls over whilst he's trying to put it on. And then when he drops to the floor, he hasn't even actually got the hold on at all. He's just kind of holding on to Aaron's legs. And Kevin Sullivan breaks it up quite quickly. And I think Sullivan here is a bit of a saving grace because that looked like shit. Yeah, definitely did, mate. Speaking of looking like shit, the um, steel chair shots that Hulk Hogan delivered in this match <laughs> were just so oh. soft. But it, obviously, in hindsight, I mean, it's a better thing that they were soft, but they just looked terrible, didn't they? <laughs> Well, this is the thing. It's it's a case of with what we know now about chair shots to the head and, and all that sort of stuff. It's sometimes it can be jarring when you see a wrestler take a really vicious, nasty looking chair shot right to the head unprotected. I mean, the old McFoley stuff is one example that we were looking at a chain wrestling, like a couple of Foley matches recently, the Hell in the Cell and so on. And we see chair shots to the head and it is quite uncomfortable now, so many years later knowing knowing the potential effect this can have on a person however i also think that wrestling one of the biggest art forms in wrestling is one of the biggest skills i suppose is making it look legit without hurting your opponent yeah here hogan gets the not hurting your opponent bit spot on the money you can't fault how safe the guy is with these chair shots so that's a big big positive for me however it doesn't look like it's hurting his opponent. We can tell how safe these chair shots are. So my mindset is 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 twofold, really. There's two two points to it. One, uh, find a way of doing it that looks legit without hurting your opponent. Or two, just don't do it. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I thought of uh, something that could counter this is um, just do it on the back or somewhere hard where it's not going to cause uh, immediate danger. Mm, yeah, this is true. This is true. I mean, I, I don't really think in this match the, the heels have any particular sustained time period of, of offense or control. It's kind of that quite was... back and forth at best. Either Hogan's in control or it's relatively back and forth. Um we get the the Hulk Hogan sort of hulking up thing again, as we do in all of his matches. But he does this, it's almost like a double hulk up. He points at Arn and Sullivan and starts hulking up and posing a little bit. And I know it's an old 80s shtick and it worked in the 80s and it made money and it got a crowd reaction. But this is 1996 now and we're obviously watching in 2022 with more modern eyes. Yeah, this this it's hard, isn't it? Oh, this double Hulk makes the bad guys look ridiculous because Arn and Sullivan literally have to just stand there and let Hulk go through his routine. If this was a real fight, surely you would just attack the guy. Yeah, you would just you'd try anything to just take the advantage. But this, um, yeah, this wasn't good. It was just like. It's something that we're going back weeks and weeks and weeks saying that it's Hulk Hogan having his way with the heels and the heels just not allowed to just get one over on Hulk. Very, very mm. rarely we've seen that. Yeah, and I come back to the point of we had the ridiculous doomsday stacked four cage match Hogan versus the entire world sort of thing. Surely that's the blow off for the feud. Surely that's the ending. That that's you know you can leave it there. That makes sense when it comes to a storyline standpoint and let people move on to other things. But Hulk just Hogan and obviously Kevin Sullivan is 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 booking at this point as well. It just seems like they never want this feud to end. Yeah, it it seems like it's shocking that um, Kevin Sullivan's booking because he's looking just like absolute trash every week. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, this this is not going away anytime soon. Um, I thought that maybe if Beefcake um, or the Booty Man was involved in this, uh, maybe it would have been a feud ender. So maybe they're trying to drag it out a bit more until he's not injured anymore. Well, Brutus Beefcake did say that all the Booty Man, sorry, uh, all his stupid gimmicks blur together in my, you know, full of cold mind. Um, Beefcake did say on his previous appearance on the last Nitro that he had a plan for this Nitro that was going to end it once and for all. I don't know if the plan is what we see here, and that is the winner. Effectively, Hogan, if he wins the match, gets five minutes for a manager of his choice. But then we also get it thrown in at some point that if the heels win, they get five minutes with Kimberly or the booty babe or whatever she's being referred to as here which is kind of a very much throwaway comment dropped into the match halfway through by Eric Bischoff, which obviously, you know, it sort of preempts what we're going to see. Is the fact that they're selling the Hogan possibility more so makes you think straight away that Hogan's going to win no matter what, which of course he does. Uh, but yep. not before he no-sells a chair shot completely, which, you know, considering the, you know, R. Anderson and Sullivan, they're selling these Hogan chair shots like they've been shot. They're going down for these tiny little taps with a metal chair. Hogan gets waffled with a chair to the back and jumps straight back up. It just makes a mockery of everything we've seen up to this point in the show, doesn't it? It really does. Um, that's I made a note about that the manager's um, stipulation. Uh, can you remember any time that that stipulation was in a match and it actually we actually got a, 
a clean payoff of the manager having five minutes alone in the ring with the uh, opposing wrestler? Oof, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to do a bit of digging on that. It must have happened at some point. Yeah. I imagine, I imagine there would have been occasions with Bobby Heenan. Yeah, back in the eighties, where he would have, because he was he was a wrestler before he was a manager, and he went for the spell of working with the Warrior and the old Weasel suit and so on. I imagine that he would have been potentially involved in something like that. Um, JJ Dillon with the Horseman, there's a possibility there, I guess. Yeah. That, uh, I, other, uh, other than that, um, it's, uh, I think maybe some somewhere in Memphis as well could have uh, happened. I mean, it to me, it's just it just seems a bit outdated. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and you 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 get it revisited with different formats as well. Um, we see something with the Steiner brothers concerning this in in future months and so on. It's. It's an old troop, I guess, an old an old trait of the business because the heel, the heel managers don't often get their comeuppance, do they? The the good guy gets won over the bad guys by beating the wrestler. So the heel manager, who obviously gets involved in matches, cuts some of the promos, etc., doesn't often get a full comeuppance. Maybe just a punch in the face during the match or something like that. So it's a yeah. good it's a good idea because, I mean, you you look back to the days of say, uh, a poorly dangerously he managed half the roster in WSW at one stage. So if his guys were losing in certain matches, he could still be victorious in others. The idea of dangerously gets having to step into the ring with say, just for argument's sake, a sting potentially or Barry Windham or someone like that, that I think would have done business because people would have been desperate to see Heyman get his ass kicked. So there is a possibility of, of you know, still making money with that idea if it's done right. Uh, but yeah, it does, really hit me as a very old school almost territory based kind of thing doesn't it yeah and that's a great point you bring off about paul heyman because i think this could still work but maybe just with paul heyman in today's um product maybe one of roman reigns opponents could um get paul heyman in the ring because he's such a great manager but other than that i can't see it working out anymore especially with a female manager i can't see that mm. working out yeah, and that was the big thing that set me set this aside for me here. It was a bit uncomfortable at moment in most certain moments because I mean, I mean, effectively, Jimmy Hart gets a few shots in on on Hulk Hogan as well. Uh, Hogan at one point slingshots Arn Anderson into the corner where Kevin Sullivan is on the top rope. He hits the leg drop. Hogan wins, and then we get to the point where he's basically he goes after a woman on the outside, grabs her by the hair, bundles her into the ring. He then goes after Liz, grabs her by the hair, bundles her into the ring. And then at one point he grabs both of them and they are screaming and visibly yelling in pain. Obviously, you know, I'm hoping it's just you know that the fact that they're selling well. I hope Hogan hasn't got too tight a grip on their arms. But again, it's that thing of this is a six foot seven, six foot eight man threatening to beat the crap out of two very diminutive ladies. I don't know why, but I don't know if Sherry was that good at her job that in the 80s when Hogan threatened Sherry, or if it was the fact that I was a kid. When Hogan threatened to hit Sherry, I was all about that. I was like, yeah, get the bitch. But now I'm older. I don't know if I look at it and think, okay, that's not, it doesn't sit right. I don't know, Danny. What are your thoughts, mate? That's uh, very similar to that. It just didn't come off well. It was like, Hulk Hogan, you have the choice of any uh, manager. You would have gone over Jimmy Hart. But the thing I found out that stood out to me was Liz just kind of seemed meh. Well, um, 
woman was selling and screaming. Liz was kind of like trying not to laugh because mm. I found her facial expressions was like, oh, it's just Terry. He's, he's I've known him for years. Um, while woman was the performer in this, well, she was absolutely terrified. And um, but yeah, that's a great point about. I mean, the believability of Hulk Hogan going after two women. No wonder he was booed. Well, this is it. I think with with Miss Elizabeth, it's. She's always been that way, I think. I, obviously, she came into the mainstream, I suppose, with, with Randy Savage in the WWF. And people just loved her. She was so popular, but she didn't have to do much. Yeah. She would just stand there in her expensive dresses, looking very attractive, whilst a heel Savage would berate her at times, and that would get heat. When Savage was a babyface, he would still cut all the promos and she would just stand there. She would get cheered naturally because she's, she's with Savage again. Uh, I think her whole career, she's not really done. She wasn't really involved in much herself directly. She always seemed to be an extra part to the package. And I mean, don't get me wrong. She was the wedding in, in 91, the whole thing at WrestleMania seven, where she runs into the ring at when Savage is forced to retire. That's, that's fantastic television. That's, that, that's some brilliant moments. But Liz herself, I don't think, is a natural in this business. And when it comes to being on, on the dark side, shall we say, when it comes to being the heel in a certain scenario, I think that doesn't play to her very limited strengths either. Because she literally has to just stand there. And uh, I mean, again, it, it's it's very similar role. I guess she's standing there and let her flare do all the talking and, and all that sort of stuff. But she doesn't really look... I suppose comfortable in the role at times. She doesn't really. There are moments where you can visibly see Flair and Woman moving her around to get her to stand in certain positions because she's walking across a shot or she's standing in front of Flair or, or whatever. And it's for someone who's been around the wrestling business for a little while. At, at this stage, it is that case of well, should she already know that stuff or not? I don't know. I don't know. The fact of the matter is, regardless of how. I suppose wooden some of her performances can be. She was a very recognizable individual and people people loved her in the eighties. So Yeah. They did. Yeah. That's a great point, sir. But here I totally agree with you. Here woman is always the performer. I mean I, I get that impression. Every time we see the pair of them together, woman is the performer. And Liz is yeah. just it's almost like Liz I don't wanna I don't wanna talk in of the dead or I don't wanna downgrade her performances or anything like that because she's doing the best she can with what limited uh, you know, talent she obviously has in this in this role, but it's almost like Liz has become a prop in the Macho Man Flair storyline because they're yeah. talking about Liz all the time with regards to him, her taking money from Savage and turning on him and passing the shoes to Flair, and it was a big shock when she turned on on Savage and Hogan and all that sort of stuff. But that was the last time she really did anything particularly active. Other than the old referee distraction. To me, it's very much a case of she's, she's coming across now just like a prop, almost like somebody feuding over the world title or when we saw Repo Man steal Savage's hat or jacket or whatever it was. That was about a prop. And it almost feels like at times Liz's performances make her come across that as a prop, I guess. I'm, I might be being a bit too harsh. I don't know. 
No, no, I don't think you're being harsh at all because, um, especially when you compare her to what woman's doing because later on in this episode we get a great shot of where woman notices the camera and she's holding the WCW title and she just plays to the camera. Yeah. And it's it's just stark contrast to um, Liz. I mean, it's just, yeah. So I can see your point completely, mate. Yeah, there's also times as well when uh, Liz, uh, I don't know the exact time frame, I don't know the exact time frame, but her contract was coming up and she was renegotiating again with WCW where Bischoff and Randy Savage was always a big part of these negotiations, even though at this point they're no longer married. And she was, was they were asking that she could do more, get involved more. It may have been when she was associated with Lex Luger in many years. Yes, ago. it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it may not even been a contact like contract negotiation. I may have that bit wrong. I don't know. You gotta bear in mind I'm all addled up and bunged up with flu, so my head's all over the place. So <laughs> um but it effectively she, the conversation w- was a non-starter with regards to her doing more in WCW, according to Eric Bischoff. All she wanted to do was walk down to the ring, stand at ringside, and walk back again and get paid. Easy so, payday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you can get that kind of work, fantastic. Good luck to the lady, of course. You know, but it did come across listening to Bischoff. It must have been on uh, his podcast. He was talking about it in a very much a, a kind of frustrating way that she wasn't willing to do more, which could have potentially helped the product if she was a bit more involved, I guess. Yeah, definitely. You can see that as well. Mm, yeah, right. Uh, after Hogan has teased he's going to attack the women, he chooses Jimmy Hart. He gives Jimmy Hart uh, an atomic drop after ripping half of his shirt off, which was odd. Uh, but then the giant comes out and you're thinking, okay, here we go. The giant's going to look after Jimmy. Hogan, though, no sells the choke slam. Gets up straight away from the giant's finisher that has wiped out every- the previous, I don't know what Nitro it was, whether it was last week or the week before, but it went off air, I think, with the giant choke slamming the crap out of everybody. And here we are, Hogan takes one and jumps up. What a load of shit. This was, I was watching this this morning, and this was the moment I texted you, side because this frustrated me. Three weeks ago, the Giant was in a world championship match with Ric Flair, being built up, looking very dominant. As you just said, the week, uh, two weeks before this, he was being, he was chokeslamming the world. He was looking so don- dominant. And then this week, all of that was undone for me. All the work with Loch Ness, he just looked like a joke, especially after Hulk Hogan slammed him. It was like, wow, all that work for absolutely mm. nothing because Hulk Hogan had to have his way. It almost seemed just like it was on purpose to just destroy. Brian Pillman was a very smart man to not want to work with Hulk Hogan <laughs> because this, yeah. yeah, this really, really got under my skin it was just so angry it made me so angry it was like we've we've restarted the giant on this massive push and now all of that's undone now you make a really interesting point there for me it was almost like it was done intentionally to hurt the giant now i can't i'm not a mind reader i can't you know we can't exactly go back and, and and sort of read Hogan's mind to find out what he was exactly thinking when this was happening and he was talking about what he wanted to do. You sure as hell can't take anything from any interview with Hogan or his books because it's all just full of lies. Um, However, he does have this track record of undermining talent 
in certain ways. That that is, you know, you cannot debate that. That there is evidence of that. You know, maybe not as uh, maybe not as prominent or as standout as some people would have you believe, but there is evidence of it, not nonetheless. Now, we're talking here. What are we? April ninety six, aren't we? I'm fairly certain Hogan is going to go off soon and do some filming for something. I don't know whether this is the same time he has that TV show, Thunder in Paradise, or whether we're talking Mr. Nanny or whatever it may well be. The exact timelines, I don't know, but I'm fairly certain he nips off for a few weeks and does a bit of filming somewhere. In which case, the giant, I believe, is going to be very prominent on television, and that's why they've been building him up which would then lead to Hogan returning to face the Giant because the Giant would effectively be the number one heel because Flair is already occupied with Savage. So that would kind of... In my head, that was... If my memory serves where we're going and, you know, looking at how the, the card is shaping up, that is kind of where my mind goes. It makes... It's a really selfish thing, I think, because the Giant is obviously being built up to look dominant for the good of the company. Hogan can see this. He is then going to disappear off television for a little while. And he undermines the giant on his way out. I mean, don't get me wrong. Hogan's probably going to be on TV for another couple of weeks. I don't know the exact timeline, but I know he does disappear at some point for a short period in 96. So, and he's undermining the guy who they're really sort of prepping to be the top of the show for a period this year. It was, it's just so bad. I mean, just, I mean, just, why even bother with pushes if Hulk Hogan's going to kill every single one of them? <laughs> yeah, it's very frustrating. Very frustrating. Uh, Hogan slams the giant, um, and then Mean Gene gets in the ring, and Hogan nearly slams Mean Gene. Apparently, he thought it was Jimmy Hart, and he picked him up, and then suddenly started apologizing. I'm so sorry. I thought you were somebody else. This was really, really silly. And then yeah. Hogan gets the crap boot out of him whilst cutting a promo. And we could barely hear the problem because he had messed up Gene's microphone as yeah. he was um, <laughs> about to body slam him. But there was also another point I wanted to make just quickly about the giant. He also ran away very, very quickly when um, Hulk Hogan was distracted with Gene. The giant got out of the ring as fast as anyone and was just hobbling down the aisleway with um, the Taskmaster and things like that. It was just... ah. Oh. Now he's not only was he beaten down, but he was also running away from Hulk Hogan as well. Yeah, and it, you got you got the great big orange one stood in the ring looking strong. But if he's oh, not yeah. going to be on TV for a few weeks, how's that going to benefit the company? It makes no sense. But yeah, um, this interview I could barely hear anything. Did you catch any of it, mate? Uh, it was just st- sort of standard Hogan ranting, shouting, Hulkamania, live this, Hulkamania, that. I'm going to get that no good stinky giant and all this sort of stuff. It was just nonsensical rant. It's just an excuse for Hogan to rant and pose, from what I could gather anyway. Yeah, to a course of booze. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, the show then, I suppose, uh, begins uh, with a little bit more... I suppose organization to it for a split second because we speak to see our commentator our commentary team apologies uh, and they have a little run through what's going to happen before public enemies music hits and these guys come down to the ring and basically what follows gets rid of any organization that we may have guaranteed you know sort of gathered up with the commentary team as they are coming to the ring and they're doing their little funny dance the nasty boys run out jump them in the entrance destroy trash cans over their heads and we're off to the races with a force count anywhere match now i'm going to be really intrigued 
to hear your thoughts on this match, Danny, because I've got a couple of opinions that may differ from other people's depending on what style of wrestling people like. So what, what did you think of Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys Force Count Anywhere? This, to me, um, just to give an overview quickly first, this went on too long for me. Yes. Um, yeah. It was very, very long, but it was, I felt, um, I'm not exactly sure what ECW was doing at this point, but I'm guessing they may have been causing some noise because as we've talked about this before, um, it, it feels like a copy of ECW. It was like, oh, that promotion's doing well. It's getting a lot of buzz on the internet and in, in the dirt sheets. So let's let's give them an ECW-style match. And I think the Nasty Boys are the wrong type of characters to give a match like this. Public Enemy certainly aren't because they were picked up from ECW. But, um, yeah, this match, uh, while, while decent, it just definitely went on too long. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you're spot on with regards to the ECW uh, likenesses here. It, it, it is what they're doing is trying to cater to that hardcore audience and get the eyes on the WCW product as well. Uh, something WCW does quite well for a period is, I, I think, have different aspects of the wrestling business on their cards catering to different fans' needs. I mean, it's no secret that the cruiserweights are a big highlight in WCW going forward we're coming into that era now we also have certain hardcore craziness in certain events not not as regular as the cruiserweights but certain events and that that's trying to cater to the hardcore ecw type fan i guess i mean very ultimately if, if you're a big mainstream product similar to the wwe nowadays i guess if you're a big mainstream product you can't just you can't be one type of wrestling because you become quite niche WWE is the size it is. Well, one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons. WWE now is the size it is because if you watch an eight-hour WrestleMania, in theory, there's a little bit for everybody. There's something my daughter would enjoy that I may not. There's something I will enjoy that you may not, and, and all the way around and so on. And it's kind of what WCW did, not as well, but there was elements of that, especially going into you know later 96, 97 and so on. And I think this is kind of the forerunner of this with Public Enemy and the whole ECW, Falls Count Anywhere, Anything Goes kind of street fight effort we have in front of us here. However, I completely agree with you in that it went far, far too long. Uh, as chaotic as it was, and we get the old Nitro split screen out a few times because it doesn't stop to be fair to them despite the fact, the fact that the match went too long there's not a lull in the action it's constant all the way through which on one hand is positive because it's exciting for people watching on the other side of the coin it can make it difficult to process anything in particular if you see a big chair shot or a big trash can shot and that guy sells it for three or four seconds before getting up and hitting one himself all of a sudden, the, the fact that you're seeing 10 chair shots, they all become less important than one that somebody sells properly. And that's kind of the vibe I got from this. Also, something from... I mean, it's very difficult to analyse this match and break it down, I think, Danny, so I'm not too sure we'll, we'll get too in-depth into it because it is just people hitting each other with lots of different shit. But one thing that really does bother me is how many pin attempts did you count in this match? It had to be under five. Very, very... There wasn't many, was there? I'm not sure there was... Hmm. See, I'm racking my brains now, and I wish I'd noted it down. 
I can't remember any pin attempts other than when the match finishes. Maybe yeah. one, maybe one more. Or something. And this match, as we said, it goes on quite a while. And neither team seem like they're trying to actually win the match, which again takes away from the aspect of this is supposed to be a contest. It's not just... I, I get the impression of how long this was, how the, the match was structured, how it was effectively a weapons show as opposed to any real kind of selling of a move or somebody trying to win the contest. This to me was just a, a way of getting weapons and, and chair shots and trash cans on your TV program with no real logic behind it whatsoever. Yeah. And luring people away from the WWF um, because there was, there would be like inferior would be like, Oh wow. Turn over to WCW. They've got all these weapons out. It's going crazy. Wow. 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 And if you turn over to raw, you might see, Savio Vega in a match with someone compared well, to this. You're, so, you're yep. spot on. The main event of Monday Night Raw on April the 15th, 1996, was actually Savio Vega versus Goldust. So, yeah, you're that very... was a complete guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you are spot on. Um, yeah, no one, for me, no one effectively tries to win. It's just, it's just people hitting each other with stuff. Eventually, Brian Nobbs does get a pinfall, however, when. Uh, Johnny Grunge misses a top rope leg drop through a table and Nobbs just pins him in the mess. And then afterwards, Public Enemy then puts Sags through a table. So, and to me, again, I can understand trying to cater to an audience that they may not already have. You're getting two tag teams on the card and, you know, some, some quite dramatic imagery with the chair shots and so on. But it, I don't think this was done very well. And ultimately none of it really means anything because the nasty boys won the match, but the public enemy are walking out celebrating. So the story uh, continues. Yeah. And none of it really means anything because until I'm, I've literally sat down here, I watched this, this episode of nitro an hour or two before we recorded until I was sat down here now and I've got my notes in front of me and we've got to this part of the show. I've already forgotten this match happened. Yeah. It was very much like just it could have been condensed into a five minute brawl rather than a 12 or what felt like a 12 minute match. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this could have been like a little brawl um, just to get the weapons on the show and then kind of just get back to some good action. But yeah, yeah, I mean, the one positive thing I'll say about this match is at least there was story because uh, these two teams have been feuding for the last couple of weeks. So, um, but yeah, this seemed like it could be saved for Saturday night. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's it's there was story going in. I guess there was previous building to this, but again, on the other side of that, this wasn't advertised. This was you know we weren't we weren't aware that this match was happening until we pressed play on this episode of Nitro, and even then we had to go for all the Hogan bullshit to find out this was going this was going to happen. So if you've got this part of a story and they're building to something else and so on it the fact that we're, we're not aware this is happening beforehand doesn't quite sell that for me yeah this is a great point mate it's just like uh just where will we go next with these teams mm. yeah okay uh up next we have two guys who don't need weapons to make themselves look good we have two guys who are genuinely very very talented workers we have bobby eaton in his guise as earl robert eaton 
uh, accompanied to the ring with Jeeves or Greaves or what is it, Danny? Is it Greaves? Jeeves. Jeeves. Okay. And he is facing the Macho Man Randy Savage, who so far we are told is acting like a wild man backstage. Security about to keep him in his dressing room and so on. He's very, very cross. But yet when Savage comes out, he's quite happy to wave to the fans and do his normal routine and doesn't look that different to normal, Danny. That's a great observation. It was like, just come on, like, just um, he's there, just because we didn't see any shots of him actually doing anything backstage. We just took Eric Bischoff's word and the commentator's word for that. So yeah. that was a bit odd. But when um, this match was announced, um, this just brought back because we've been talking about Randy Savage's rare opponents. He's faced um, Chris Benoit and his match last week, which um, was a surprising match as well. But this was like, I compared this to, do you remember the time, I think it was 2015, where John Cena was wrestling uh, in the US Championship Open Challenge? Yes, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it reminds me of that because you've got a massive established star, a former world champion, and he's taking on stars that that are going to be the future of uh, WCW it's, it's actually it's not I'm not going to say jobbers but because they're not they're actually just mid-card wrestlers that are being built up by having these matches with Randy Savage just like the John Cena um, open challenge it was like you're building up uh, the future of the company yes they might lose but they're going to have a brilliant showing with Randy Savage here and with John Cena interesting I never really made that link in my head I can kind of see your point uh, with regards. I mean, the Benoit match especially stands out to me because Savage got nothing apart from the win. He got the elbow drop and the finish, and Benoit looked fantastic. And that, again, it'd be very easy for Andy Savage, someone of his stature, to pull rank, almost Hogan-esque, and be like, well, this is going to what we're going to do. But Chris Benoit was allowed to look fantastic. And, of course, he's joining the horseman, and he's going to be a big player in WWE for years to come. Bob Eaton, I'm not so sure about being the future of the company he's been around a long time by now he's probably seen better days as talented as the guy is but it's a really interesting uh a link there to be honest and it's a really interesting comparison i never thought of that before oh thank you man. and also i've just remembered it was finley randy savage wrestled um so these rare matches um that go under the radar that don't end up on uh dvds or anything like that it's always a joy to watch and i found this match was brilliant Yes, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I've not got many notes on this, which means either A, it was boring, or B, uh, I was engrossed in it. And I think there was a bit more to this than being boring. And we start off with both guys taking turns, throwing each other over the top rope to the outside. And then we have a reference to Randy Savage being the voice of a cartoon character very soon, which is quite a big deal, mind. It's quite a big thing for that to be happening. And he's going to be voicing a character in a TV show called Dial M for Monkey. Have you ever heard or seen Dial M for Monkey? No, but after this, I'm going to search that out and we could put it on the socials. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen it. I've never even heard of it. So I would be intrigued if you found it, Danny, yes. Yeah, um, oh, I'll find it. <laughs> Bobby Eaton does a quite humorous Ric Flair impression at one point to try and get under Savage's skin with the whole Elizabeth business going on. Puts a figure four leg lock on Savage and even... As the, as the hold is being applied, lies there waving a Four Horsemen t-shirt. I loved this. This is proper shit isery, isn't it? Yeah, that is excellent heel work. And we also get a, a rare appearance of Fred Flintstone in the crowds, don't we? <laughs> we do. I think Bobby Heenan refers to, to Fred Flintstone as uh, Gene Oakland's wife at one point. 
which is just fantastic Brilliant from Bobby. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, ultimately, the match ends with Savage's top rope elbow. And then this crazy, mental, full of rage Randy Savage character that we've not seen anything of to dictate that is the way he is, does kind of rear its head a bit. He, he attacks the referee a touch. Uh, and Alex Wright, Jim Duggan, and a few others have to enter the ring to restrain Savage, and he gets handcuffed and taken out the ring. But for me, if they're trying to portray him as being full of rage, crazy... I mean, Randy Savage has always been pretty crazy, let's be honest. But if he's full of rage and, and kicking off left, right, and centre, I almost feel like I want more to show that. Yeah, I think some backstage um, pre-tabs would have been brilliant for this, especially with the announcers saying, um, oh, yeah, he's going mad, he's throwing things in the in the backstage area, he's angry at Ric Flair. Um, I think this was excellently played out because Savage, during the match, was so pissed off about Eaton uh, portraying Ric Flair and taunting him with the Four Horsemen. So maybe he just snapped after it because he was like, how dare you? It's like... Um, like when you're in a fight and stuff, and then you know you can get another few shots in, so you take another few shots um, just to add measure. And then the baby face is coming out, and even handcuffing Randy Savage, I found, was mm. um, just – it was good. It made a lot of sense, and it, I'm excited to see where Savage will go next. Uh, see, I'm the other way, mate. I, I, I was a bit – I don't know. It, it didn't quite get me. I suppose I am still intrigued to see where it goes next because – you know, we're still talking about Savage Flair, and I'll, I'll happily watch those two guys work again. That, that was, you know, I always enjoy watching those two wrestle, but it, has, it hasn't quite grabbed me yet. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see where we go, mate. We'll see where we go. But how much air time? How much camera time did Doug Dillinger get? He was all over the shop, wasn't he? He loved it, mate, didn't he? he loved it. <laughs> uh, that takes us to our main event, though, and it's for the WCW World Tag Team Titles. And we have the team of Ric Flair and the Giant, who were beating the piss out of each other only a couple of weeks ago. So that makes perfect sense. And they are facing Sting and Luger, your WCW Tag Team Champions. A couple of things to point out here. Uh, on the way to the ring, Flair looks incredible with his gold robe. And the, the woman and Liz flanking him either side. And the Giant stood behind him. What a visual that was. Flair goes and interacts with Deborah McMichael again, Mongo's wife at ringside once more. So obviously that's what we're building to something there. That's going to be interesting to see where we go with that. Yeah. Uh, Sting and Luger make their entrances. Luger, when he throws up his big muscle pose, damn near takes Sting's eye out of his elbow, which is quite funny. Uh, yeah. And Lex is not carrying his TV title. And that shit annoys me. Yeah, that was annoying, wasn't it? It was like... Um... But thankfully, the announcers did mention he was the television champion. But yeah, I can see that point as well. It was like he couldn't be bothered. When was the last time that title was defended? Oh, you've got me there. I'm going to have to look this one up. I've got no idea. And the fact that it's not even brought to the ring anymore. What's the point? In Luger is in a big storyline with Sting. And he is one of the tag team champions. I think that, I remember the last time the TV title was supposed to be defended was against Giant Haystacks, but it was it was a non-match, wasn't it? It was thrown out. Oh, yes. Okay. I mean, that's going back a little while, isn't it? Yeah, at least a month. Hmm. Now, Sting and Luger have got this odd couple program going on, which is one of the best things on WWTV at the moment, in my opinion. Luger is also defending the tag titles with Sting, as well as having this kind of interesting... 
uh, interesting aspects to his character about if he's if he's going to turn, if he's not, can he be trusted, etc. The TV title is, is an afterthought. It's mentioned on commentary. It's not the belt's not even visible on television. It's yeah. not being you. What is the point in Luger having that TV title? He could kind of just vacate it, couldn't he? Because um, isn't the the premise of the television championship to be defended every single time on television every week? Well, it used to change. There was at one stage TV championships were to be defended on the television program as often as possible. Then there was also an adage with certain territories or certain TV shows that the TV title was called so because it would have a set short time limit to make sure it could appear on television all the time. Uh, there was lots of different variations that went into the t- TV championships in different territories all over the place. For me, personally, I don't see the point in Luger holding the television championship right now. Putting the title on him in the first place seems like it was a mistake because now, how do you get that belt away from him without messing up Luger looking strong or the title meaning something? If Luger just vacates it, then that to me makes it look like Luger just doesn't care about the championship, which is what we're getting here anyway, of him not arriving with the belt and so on. So that to me belittles yeah. the title itself. Yeah, Luger... I don't go that way. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, if Luger drops the belt in a match, I mean, I don't think there's many people on the roster who are of Luger's stature at the moment with regards to how much of a, well, whereabouts on the card he is and who he's interacting with. So if Luger drops the belt... He's not going to drop it to one of his peers because that would affect his current storylines. He would have to drop it to somebody, I suppose, lower down the card than him, which would be good for that individual. But would it then affect Luger and his stature with regards to the Sting stuff? And he's in the ring here with the world champion Ric Flair and the Giant. He's in the main event. So that would be... I think they booked themselves into a bit of a corner with the TV championship at this point. I think you're completely right, mate, because it's like, as you say, I mean, the, just looking at the roster just quickly, I think the only person that you could logically have Lex Luger drop the championship to is probably the Giant. Yeah, the, the Giant's involved with Flair. Oh, yeah. The, which is the world title. So that's, he's not going to go down to the television title level, I wouldn't think, because that yeah. would effectively take him out of, you know, if Luger dropped the belt to Arn Anderson, I wouldn't be objective to that, but it has to be done in a way that doesn't affect Luger looking strong with regards to where he's going with Sting. It's a difficult one. It's a difficult one. Unless yeah. they, you know, the, another option, I suppose, would be to strip him of the championship because he hasn't been defending it, which again is a little bit of a booking shortcut, I potentially think, maybe a bit lazy booking, but. I think they have literally booked themselves into a corner with that TV championship, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see where they go, but let's just hope it's good. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, the match starts here, and we get a few moments of Sting and Ric Flair facing off. And had just these two are fantastic, aren't they? Ric Flair's wooing and getting booed. Sting shouts to the crowd, they all react. Um, Flair gets sent to the outside. Sting hits a drop kick at one point. The, the flares bumping around for Sting. The, the chemistry between these two, it just always is superb. We've seen Sting and Flair in different guises face off quite a few times already, even in this this short run of Nitro Nights. I mean, what are we up to? You know, 40, 41 weeks of episodes, whatever it may well be. And we've seen it several times already. I'm, I'm not tired of it at all, still, Danny. No, me either. And I mean, we'll be going on for the next 25 years. <laughs> so, um, 
It's, yeah, this was just brilliant. I'm glad that this match started with these two because um, these were the definitely the workhorses in the match. Yes, we're right. Uh, we get a little bit of interesting, I suppose, storyline or character work here as well, mind. Because Flair is sent to the outside on two separate occasions. And when he drops to the outside, the giant catches him. Now, we've seen heel tag teams. I mean, when I think of Flair, I think of Arn Anderson. Arn would make sure that you know Flair's okay. They gather their thoughts and have a little conversation. The Giant's not about that life. He just grabs Flair, throws him straight back in, saying, come on, let's get on with it. Now, the first time this happens, Flair is pissed. Second time it happens, Flair gets out of the ring, runs over and chops the Giant. So, And then, the, then Flair runs off and the Giant follows him and we go to an ad break. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, where is this going then? This is new. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, I loved Ric Flair getting so pissed off that he went over and physically attacked his tag team partner. And then when he realised, oh, God, it's the giant, so he just ran away. <laughs> that mm. was excellent story um, telling there. Because as you said at the beginning of this match, these two, the giant and Ric Flair, just was be- being the piss out of each other two weeks before this. And now um, they're in a tag team match, which makes very little sense. But since they're heels, I think it's funny that Ric Flair is so frustrated that he's just getting beaten up himself that he just takes out on his tag team partner. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, we come back from the break and the good guy team are in control until the giant tags in. And then he kind of beats on Luger for a little while. Uh, and Luger is effectively the guy then that, that takes the pasting from the heels for a while. Uh, Flair starts working Luger's legs, gets the figure four on for a very long period of time here, the figure four spot, with Flair using the ropes and woman putting his arms as well to get more leverage on that hold. Eventually, the referee notices, breaks the hold. Flair has a little pushing match with the ref, which always gets a reaction from the crowd, regardless of how silly it may well be. Uh, Flair has this standard issue with when he goes to the top rope. He gets caught up there and thrown by Luger, which gives Lex the opportunity to make the hot tag to Sting. And the crowd go batshit crazy for Sting, which is exactly what you want. Yeah. This um, this was excellent because after this hot tag, every move Sting did, they popped at the crowd. And I think it was very smart to put Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan's tag team match in, or handicap match in the opener and this in the main event. Um, if it was roles reversed, this would have been a terrible decision <laughs> because mm-hmm. the crowd were definitely into this. Yeah, yeah, really good point, really good point. Uh, Sting hits a superplex. Ric Flair at one point goes for his flip in the corner and ends up effectively sitting on a cameraman's head, I think. And that's our second. Camera. That's our second cameraman bump of the night, isn't it? Yeah, there. Uh, I mean, Bischoff mentions on commentary he hopes they're getting danger pay, and I think he's pretty accurate there. To be fair, um, <laughs> the superplex though it leads to the scorpion uh, leg lock. And woman creepily climbs up onto the apron again with the coffee whilst the referee is distracted. Luger looks like he's going to get the coffee in the mush, but he ducks. It hits Sting. The referee does notice this, however, uh, throws the match out as a DQ finish. Everyone gets choke slammed, uh, and that's kind of where we leave the ring on this episode of Nitro. Again, though, it looked to me like woman was trying to win the match with the hot coffee. Threw the coffee. Luger ducks. It hits Sting. Okay, these things happen. The faces have won the match via DQ. But Bobby Heenan is fantastic here. Because Heenan asks the question, did Luger know what he was doing? Ducking there. Did Luger position Sting for that to happen? Now, to us, that doesn't really make sense. That wouldn't be the scenario. But it does just sow those little seeds of doubt once again, knowing their recent history. 
I think that was a really clever touch by Bobby Heenan on commentary. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, Bob Heenan's earning his pay. I'm telling you that because uh, that was excellent, and it's it's just all about story, isn't it? And one thing I also noticed is I always wondered how did they get away with throwing coffee at each other. Now, thanks to some shoddy camera work, I realised that the coffee that woman's been throwing after the last couple of weeks is actually Coca-Cola. Right, okay. Because it's uh, more clear than coffee. And so when the um, Coke hit um, Sting, it was like, oh, so it kind of lessens the, the effect. But no, but in seriousness, this is great storytelling and it just leaves you questioning Lex Luger's motives at the end. Yeah, and I mean, I'm siding. In, in, there's so much going on with this story, but for this instant, yeah, I'm still siding with Luger. He didn't know. Yeah. He's, he's trying to get out of the way. Sting is the one who's put the Scorpion on in that position. It To me, it looks how it is. It, it comes across how it looks to me. There is no ulterior situation there. But just having Heenan mention that on commentary, I think was a really, really clever touch. Yeah, and arguing with Mongo McMichael about it as well, saying, oh, I've been in the ring. You don't know. You've never been in the ring. You know yeah. where your tag team partner is at all times. Um, yeah, Heenan's definitely earning his pay. Yes, without a doubt. Uh, he then gets handcuffed as well by uh, Eric Bischoff at the end of the show. And as as Bischoff is signing off, Heenan's trying to get the handcuffs off by pressing it with his knee. He gets tangled up in his his, his headset and all sorts. And it's just that, that sort of physical comedy from Bobby Heenan that you know we all enjoy. So, and that's where the show goes off air, Danny. Uh, I suppose then to summarise. Uh, woo and oh brother, good point, bad point. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. What, where do you want to go, Danny? First or second this week? I'll go second this week, sir. Okay, no problem. Uh, my oh brother will come as zero surprise to anybody who has ever listened to an episode of Nitro Nights. Hulk Hogan. No selling shit. Um, terrible looking offense. Just honestly, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again right now. Scott Hall can't turn up quick enough for Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's a great point, mate. Yourself? So my old brother would definitely be along the same lines, but it would just be on WCW's uh, hands, along with Hulk Hogan's, is the booking of the Giants, just running away, just being just castrated in the opener, and then by the main event, you're, we're supposed to take him seriously. I couldn't take him seriously in this match at all. So, yeah, it would be the booking of the Giants. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, my woo would... I'm torn, I think. I mean, the Sting-Luger-Flair-Giant match was was intriguing because of the dynamic on both sides. The Sting-Luger stuff we've touched upon on numerous times in the recent weeks, and it, it's still as interesting as ever. Flair-Giant was interesting too because where's what's going to happen with that? There's a bit of dissension there, so that was interesting. However, just pipping it for my woo this week is Bobby Heenan on commentary. I thought he was fantastic during the Hogan nonsense early on. He sold some of the moves in the Street Fight or Force Count Anywhere match really well. He was funny, talking about Savage and the money issues with Elizabeth and so on. And he was great in the main event. To me, Bobby Heenan is fantastic. That's a great point, mate. Mine would be um, the facials of woman in this match, in the main event, because um, 
it was such a, a great pose when she had the WCW Championship with her and she was there stroking it and yes. you just seen her have given an evil look to the camera. It was like, wow, this is actually, re- you really believe that she's evil. Yeah, she's very, very good, isn't she? Very good. Yeah. Such, they're holding Ric Flair's World Championship that still has the Macho Man's name on. But anyway, hit, miss or middling, my friend? I'm going with middle this week, Sai, because um, there was a, a lot of great stuff on this, but there was also a lot of bad stuff on this as well. Know. How about you, mate? I'm a bit more negative, I'm afraid. And again, I don't know if it is because I'm feeling poorly. I, I'm not sure. If I watched this, if I did watch this again on a day where I felt better, I might have a different opinion. I'm not sure. But yeah, I feel quite grotty and ill. Uh, it's a miss for me this week, mate. It's a miss for me. There's not much that would make me want to go back and watch it. I mean, the Hogan stuff, I've got no interest in seeing again. The Nasty Boys and Public Enemies match. I've seen it once. I don't need to see it again. I've seen chair shots before. Uh, and the main event, as intriguing as the little touches were, I think we're going to get more of that story. And I don't need to go watch this again. So for me this week, it's it's a miss. But the main event was still decent. And Bobby Heenan was still excellent. So it's a, it's a top-end miss. It's, it only just misses out on a middle-end territory for me, my friend. I get that, mate. Okie doke. So... Next week, we continue with another episode of Monday Nitro as we're heading towards more pay-per-views, etc., etc. We are also heading towards our bonus episode, which will be with you sometime in the next week or so, looking at a WCW event pre-Nitro days. So uh, from a date before our watchback started, Nitro Nights watchback began. Uh, That will be with you as a bit of a surprise. It'll just drop randomly and just keep your eyes out on our social medias subscribe on your podcast players to the sjp world media network or the nitro nights individual channel so you get notifications when that bonus episode will randomly drop danny do you want to everyone know whereabouts they can find you online bird yep you can find me on twitter at scottish juggalo you can hear me on one man's meat podcast with the great chris bellis you can hear me on back when with the great Tyre peters and you can hear me on this episode or next week episode of WCW Nitro with the great Sai Pal. Well, I don't feel very great right now, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but thank you, you're very kind. And speaking of back when, the Halloween edition, the, the October episode of the monthly show back when with Scottish Danny and Tyler Peters will be with you at some point in the next couple of days. As we as we put this show out on Thursday, it may even be with you today. If not, keep your eye out it'll be with you friday saturday sometime like that and it is well worth a listen i edited the show i listened to it for that purpose obviously i know how bloody good it is you're going to want to check out danny and tyler looking back on back when the original halloween movie was released however before that you need to be following the network that carries this show at sjp world media on facebook and twitter uh links to all the shows there that i'm involved in links to all the shows there that numerous other hosts are involved in so many so many great shows of great hosts looking at modern day wwe old school wrestling uh doctor who quantum leap there's so much going on you, you can't even you know begin to explain new shows being added all the time as well so get on that subscribe on all your podcast players follow us online everywhere you possibly can uh, and obviously as well and most importantly you can follow this show on facebook and twitter at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights danny i'm gonna go now and have a nice hot cup of tea and maybe a bit of a lie down because i feel like crap 
I'll get you, mate. But I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. <laughs> you will indeed, bud. You will indeed. I will speak to you very soon, my friend. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening.